All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 118. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll dive into that uh, just amazing prophetic psalm. While you're turning there, we have a couple things to announce. Today after second service is our potluck. Um, You're welcome to join us for that. Um, We're having spaghetti, so bring whatever goes with spaghetti. Whatever you think goes with spaghetti, it'll be perfect. Men's, bib. Men's retreat. I have the flyers I promised you. They're out there. Grab those. Oh, I didn't make them. Jessica Wally made them for us, so thank you to her. But all the information I think you could possibly want, and then the QR code to go ahead and register, or if you're old school, you can... Well, I don't know how you're going to do it old school. You'll just have to figure something out. But they're there. Now, they have a cutoff date for rooms. I don't know who needs to stay at Mazingo from here, but if you wanted to stay out there, you could. Um, but anyway, they've got a certain block of rooms out there, so um, you're welcome to get signed up by, I think, the 21st is what it says. Yeah, May 21st, so you've got a few weeks. Kids camp. We've got all of our stuff out. We have 67 spots this year. We have to have a cutoff this year. We normally try to just squeeze in as many as sign up, but that's the limit. Um, we, we have maxed out our our space there as far as uh, places to sleep for the kids and, and counselors, but also for safety, just to have enough counselors to watch all the kids. I just don't think we can go beyond that number. So we put a cap on it this year, uh, 67. Um, it's 125 for the camp if you want to go to Moera, and that's only for ages 11 to 16. Um, if you just want to go to the camp alone without Moera, that's 100. Um, we try to keep the prices the same. Uh, it costs us far more than that to put this on per kid. Um, so it isn't that we're trying to fleece you or take your money. That's just how we, we've got to have some, some covering of the costs. Deadline is June 18th for that. And the deadline includes a check. It doesn't, we, registration's fine, but we got to have that check to, to hold that spot for you. So it's the first people that can get their money in and uh, the registration and that's the, that spot saved. So. Anyway, those flyers are out there. The sign-up sheets are out there. The packets are out there to give you all the information. You can, uh, uh, once you sign all the paperwork, we can do anything to your kid, and there's nothing you can do about it. We've, we have indemnified ourselves from any. Uh, we can do anything. So, Let's pray, and we'll get started into Psalm 118. Lord, we thank you for uh, this morning, a beautiful worship time and song, and now in the hearing of your word. And we pray that your word... Uh, you would anoint it, that it would fall upon our hearts and in our ears, that we'd have ears to hear and receive everything you have for us, and that we'd receive it with joy as we sang that last song. Um, Receiving your word with joy, um, it just brings joy. And so that's our heart, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about some of our graduates. How many graduates do we have here? Just, just, are you the only, yep, one. Any other graduates? Well, high school, that's great too. Congratulations to everybody. But I was thinking about the impact you've left behind, you know, whether that's with just family and friends or, or with the institution itself, and how you don't even know what you did, really. I mean, you, you kind of just lived your life and did your part, you know. You were online, though, weren't you? But I'm sure you had some good quality meetings with groups and things like that. Um, the psalmist here is writing a psalm having no idea that they're writing something that's prophetic, really. They're just praising God for what he's done in their life and, and uh, for the hope that they remember from their teachings, that they were taught from their rabbi. And they just put that together and they just, they share, you know, 
what was on their heart. And in the middle of doing this, just normal living, just writing a song of praise to God, they end up writing this unbelievably prophetic, um, messianic psalm. And I don't know that any of us really plan on that ever, but you, you do leave quite the impact behind when you're living for God. When, you, when you're obedient to His Holy Spirit, you begin to affect people that weren't on your radar, maybe. Um, I know, as I look back on a couple decades of ministry now here in Maryville, some of the things that we decided to do, or we thought we decided to do, because we were led by the Spirit, have impacted so many different people that we didn't intend. And that's on an individual basis and also on a fellowship level. And uh, so I want to encourage you with that this morning as we go through this, to just keep this in mind. This is just a person writing a song about how they love God. Probably never intended for any other purpose other than just this one-time praise to the Lord. And yet here we are, 2023, Maryville, Missouri, reading what they've done. And they had no idea that we were on their radar. So... Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. Trying to get a point across, isn't he? God's mercy is everlasting. I'm so thankful for that. Um, One of the bigger controversies in the church is how long is hell, you know, What's the time period? Everlasting seems uh, overkill for a lot of people. They can't quite comprehend it. I don't, I don't think anybody can comprehend eternity. But the same words that are used for that eternal suffering, which I don't, I don't want to focus on too much today, except that it's true and real, and Jesus spent most of his ministry talking about it. And that's why he came, was to save us from that. But along with that same word that describes that time period for hell, which is everlasting, is the same words he uses for salvation. It's the same word he uses for his mercy and his grace. This is the same word. And so it it depends. You know, when you you think you're doing the world a favor by saying, I don't think hell is everlasting. Well, when you change the meaning of that word, you've changed it everywhere in the book. And that can be concerning for those who have trusted in his grace and in his mercy and in salvation. It changes then. Those are, there's a time limit then on those things, and it just can't be. So the, the writer here is so excited for God's mercy. You know the difference between grace and mercy. If not, you're going to hear it now. Grace is receiving something from God that's a blessing that you didn't earn or deserve. Mercy is similar. It's just not receiving a punishment that you deserve um, because of the person's mercy for you, which is God's. And so you can see why the writer here is so excited to sing of God's everlasting, his forever mercy, and that everybody should be singing praises for that. No one's excluded from praising God for not doing what he has every right to do to us or in our lives. And so he's very thankful for that. In fact, at this men's retreat, that's the that's the subject. That's the, uh, that's the text is this Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Three things. We, I like lists. And that's a really short one in the Bible. So that's a pretty easy one to memorize. What should I do for the rest of my life? Those three things. Do justly. Live your life in a just way. Love God's mercy. And love to give out God's mercy through your life. And to walk humbly. 
takes care of so many problems, doesn't it? About wipes them all out when you do those three things. In fact, Pastor Josh is going to teach on justly. I get the mercy teaching. And then uh, Chuck is going to be teaching on uh, humbly, walking with walking humbly. I think it's going to be a good retreat. I encourage you to come if you can. Um, it's very important to God for us to know that he's merciful. That tells me a lot about his character. He doesn't conceal it. He doesn't hide his mercy. And if, at, if all else fails, I'll pull that out. But I don't want him to know I have that card, you know, lest they abuse it. No, he, he proclaims it. He lets everybody know I have mercy. In fact, at one point in the Old Testament, I have mercy on whom I will have mercy. It's, it's all up to me. It's in my hands and I give it out freely. He's proud of it. It's, it's who he is. It's his character. And he wants that to be our character. If we're to be, if we're created in the image of God and he wants us to be conformed into the image of Jesus, he wants us to have that same character. I, I don't want to proclaim that I'm not going to, you know, give them what they deserve. And you know, I don't want them to take advantage of me. Maybe we're supposed to proclaim it a whole lot more. And how much more comfortable are you around people that are, that are just, merciful, and humble? So easy to talk to those folks, isn't it? Just, merciful, and humble people. There's just no, there's no fear. You can share with them about anything, you know? And that's who we want to be. Verse 5, I call on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me on a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put, the, put confidence in princes. He separates those two there. Putting trust in the Lord, of course, is what we do. In fact, in the Old, Old Testament, it says trust a whole lot more than it does in the New Testament. The New Testament really uses the word believe, which is the same thing. I mean, it really is. When I trust in God, I believe in him. I believe in him. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus. I'm putting my trust in him, my salvation, my eternity. I'm placing that in him. He's not concerned about his enemies. His enemies are huffing and puffing. And we all have them. Everybody's got people that are against us. I don't know why that's very important to people, but it is. Um, We have enemies. Everybody does. But what do you do with that? Well, you try to make them your friend. I think that's the key. You want to be friends with everybody, and so you try to do. But you can't compromise. And that's the struggle, you know. I, I, don't, I don't fear you. I don't have a phobia about you. I'm not concerned about your wrath at all. Um, but I, I do want to be understood, and I do want you to understand where I'm coming from. But I, I can't compromise in these areas. And that can cause enemies in your life. Um, sometimes because they've compromised themselves and they don't like people that have that integrity. Um, and in other ways, it's just, this is, this is how I want to be. And, and your, your approval's that important to them that you'll just be their enemy then. And uh, what do I do with that? Well, God says here, and because it's the Holy Spirit writing this psalm, just trust in the Lord. Place your trust there. It doesn't matter if the whole world's against you. It doesn't matter if the whole world has got an opposite point of view than your point of view. If it's a godly point of view, if it's a biblical point of view, you can stand upon that. And you stand in the majority. 
just not in people terms, but when you're standing with God, you stand in the majority. And that, that's my only strength. That's the only trust I have. When I'm up here teaching, um, sometimes a little bit of JD creeps into the, uh, the stylings of God, and that's, that's not appropriate. But I, you know, I'm a man. You make mistakes. But when you stand upon God's word, none of us are in any danger at all. What can man do to me? I'd raise my hand. They could kill you. They could torture you. I mean, I've got story after story of martyrs that man did a whole lot to a whole lot of believers. And the writer here isn't saying that they can't do that. He's saying, what can they do to my eternity? What can man do to my eternity? Well, nothing, I guess. Right. So I'm not really concerned about it. I'm going to, what can God do to my attorney is what he, what, what he doesn't ask. You know, we can do a whole lot. And so I stand with the Lord because that's where my eternity is. That's where I place my trust. In Proverbs chapter three, verses five through six, I think we're hit this about every Sunday last when, or last April um, and now in May. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your your path. Trust in him. Um, don't lean on your own understanding. He'll, he'll take care of you. Um, and that's what the writer's here simply saying. Um, God has me. And that uh, feels so much better than putting my trust in a person or in a government of any kind. Um, a God has me. Verse 10, all nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Now he's talking about a very real incident. I don't know what it is. He doesn't tell us what it is. But he felt pressured. He felt uh, threatened. Um, in fact, they laid hands on him at one point, pushed him, shoved him around. Um, they surrounded me. The whole world did. But God, God got me out of that because here I am writing the song to prove it. You know, um, They surrounded me. Now, he doesn't know it, but he's singing prophetically. He's writing a song of that's, that's what's going to happen. The, 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 the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me, the other prophetic scriptures say. As Jesus is on the cross, they shoot out their lip at me. They curse me. They spit upon me. All these things. He's talking about the cross. And at that time they did, but Jesus is coming back. He, he went out like a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. And this prophetically fulfills all of that. It's really amazing um, what this psalm speaks of. Not necessarily in order. But just, and prophecies are like that. They'll just start shooting out things that they see happening. And God is just letting them know, here's what's going to go down. This is going to happen, and and then this is going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And everybody's, we always like to get it chronologically, and it's not always like that. And you'll see that here in this psalm alone. Why why waste the time with prophecy? Why, Why does God take the time? Well, we don't have to ask that. I mean, we don't have to wonder. The scripture tells us, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things beforehand that you might know. I want you to have joy. Not the joy that the world can give you, but the joy that I can give you. I want you to know that there's assurance that none of these things are surprising me. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing beyond the scriptures here, but that's the idea. 
I'm telling you these things now so that when they come to pass, you understood it wasn't a surprise. It was all part of the plan. Nothing you can do to start it. Nothing you can do to stop it. It's all in my hand. I'm going to unfold this, but I want you to know ahead of time. Now, that's a very, that's a very comforting thing to know that we have a God that wants to, to uh, confide in us about some of the bigger things in this world, you know? Um, I think it's really important that you don't go through life absolutely fearful and scared and in ignorance. I want you to know how this is all going to go down and how I'm going to take care of it. And when I tell you this and you start seeing these things fall into place, you should trust me even more because you see it happening just the way I told you it was going to happen. That's a very important. Kids, kids, when they ask from the back seat, are we there yet? It can get a little irritating. Give them a map. That's a little frustrating for them. I remember when my grandpa gave me the map, we were on our way to Colorado. And we're going through Nebraska, which is every man's problem. (laughs) No offense. I like Nebraska. But you go through Nebraska. I mean, it's not only flyover country, it's drive-through country, you know. And when you're on the western side, as beautiful as the flat, empty landscape is, you wonder as a little kid who's about 11 or 10 years old, who's going to the Rocky Mountains, which you're sure, because they told you you were going to be able to see those from Nebraska, which you can't, by the way. You've got to get into Colorado before you can see them. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Finally, Grandma hands me, she's the navigator. That's how she called herself. I'm the navigator. He's the driver. She handed me the atlas. Yes, we had atlases, you know. (laughs) And then I put my finger on it. And about an hour and a half later, I asked again, and we'd gone about a quarter inch on that map. And I was like, oh. Now, what I learned from that was I need to take more time in between asks because we ain't moving that fast, as fast as I thought we were. God has given us a beautiful atlas here in his word. This is all going to unfold. It's all going to be there. And the destination is heaven. And it's going to be amazing and beautiful. And, of course, most of us ask, are we there yet? (laughs) We're about here. Okay, what does that mean? Well, we ought to be able to see it any day now, they would tell me, in Nebraska. (laughs) No, you can't. It's going to be four or five hours later before I can actually, or two or three hours later before I can start seeing the mountains, you know. You start seeing clouds on the horizon, you start, there they are, Grandma. No, we're not even there yet. But he does want us looking, and as a kid... I was always looking out that front windshield between their seats and waiting to see, because I want to be the first one to see it. Guys, live your life that way for Jesus. I can't tell you. Just always looking. I want to be the first one. It says every eye is going to see. You know, I know he's talking about the second coming, but I'm kind of mixing my metaphors here this morning. But, um, but the rapture, you know, I, there's so much to look for. You see that next prophetic thing happening. Ah, it says it's going to happen in the Bible. It says that. Look how Russia and China are getting along. Ooh, you know, all the people are, everybody else in the world's going, this is going to be terrible for the economy. You have no idea how bad it's going to be for the economy. You have no idea. Look, it's a one world currency. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, we got to stop this. You can't. You can't. It doesn't mean you have to be for it. 
doesn't mean you have to have the mark of the beast or do anything weird like that, but get excited, you know? Why does he tell us all these prophetic things so that I can go through the times we're going through right now? I'm not happy about what I'm seeing. Don't get me wrong, but I got a grin on my face because I know who is coming and I'm excited for that. It's horrible, but he told us it was going to get horrible right before he came. There's birth pangs. Oh, there's another contraction. You know, here it comes. That's what prophecy, that's why prophecy is important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The same pressure he's feeling by everybody around him is prophetic about Jesus, but it's also Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So when you feel that same thing, understand you're in good company. Jesus has felt that. Even Paul says he's felt that. And these are the things we look for in those things. We're not, we're not in despair, we're not crushed, and we're not destroyed. It feels like that's about to happen, but we're not. We're not, you know. That's why he tells us these things. Now, verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. (laughs) That's the bright side of things, verse 18, you know. Oh boy, I'm feeling God's chastening hand upon my life, but I'm not dead yet. It's not like he's killing me. It just hurts a lot. That's how he took chastening. I mean, who writes, a, who writes a beautiful worship song about getting a spanking from God, right? But it was important to him. It meant something to him. Yeah, we've been chastened. I've been chastened se- severely, not just m- minor. But I'm not dead. And I want to give you a little, I'm going to go further back on this verse, but I want to stop there for a minute. 1 Corinthians 11.32. But when we are judged judged by God, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. How do I discipline my kids? How do I train up my children the way they should go? Lots of books have been written, lots of philosophies, and and, and that's fine. I understand the the desire to do it right, to get it right, you know, And, and I applaud you for wanting to do the right thing as far as your kids are concerned. Don't get me wrong. But we have an excellent example of what a perfect parent looks like, and it's our Father in heaven. And he does chasten, but he does it for a purpose. He does the chastening so that we don't end up in jail, is the idea. Dad, why are you spanking me? Because if you continue down, you're, you're eight now, or you're seven now, or you're five now, or however old, that's... If you have this attitude when you're 18, I'm never going to see you again. If you do this now and you carry on without any correction throughout your life, you're going to do that when you're older. And it's, they're not going to be gentle parenting you. They're going to put you in prison. That's what our father does in heaven. But he always does the chastening, not out of embarrassment, 
Never because uh, out of anger, because he just is frustrated and doesn't know what else to do. He does it for a specific reason. It's because I love you and I want you to be trained up in the way that you should go so that when you're old, you won't depart from it. When you're old, you're not going to be in trouble. If you go to jail, it's going to be not because of the way I raised you. You know, if you go to hell, it's not because I didn't provide a way out. It isn't because I didn't love you. It isn't because I didn't correct you or try to change your course many, many times in your life. You're going to hell because you refused every opportunity to take that T or that Y in the road, choosing life. You chose death every time. I gave you the option. I gave you the choice and I tried. That's our father in heaven. Hebrews 12, verses 9 through 11. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, these earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's all for training. It's all for love. It's all for help. It's all for your benefit. And the psalmist here understands that. It's a beautiful thing. Great example of a parent, our Lord. Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. This gate of righteousness, it's the only way in. It's the only way you you can get into heaven is through righteousness, And, and that not of yourselves. That's the key. I want you to open the gate of righteousness to me, he says in the psalm of the Old Testament. In other words, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. And they did have a way to cover over their sin through the sacrifices of lambs and animals and things like that. Owning your sin, placing your sins upon the the, the, the animal, the life of the animal was taken in place of you. All a picture of what Christ would do eventually 2,000 years later. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He imputes his righteousness to us so that we can go through this gate of righteousness which enters us into heaven or gives us access to heaven. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith, trust, belief in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed and demonstrate, uh, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. One of the clearest messages, one of the clearest presentations of the gospel right there. It's on all who believe. All of those benefits, and it can get a little, there's a lot of big words in there. Most of us can't even say propitiation, you know. Uh, It's a big deal. The, The replacement, the taking the place of us, 
the giving to us, the freely on all who believe, anybody that chooses, anybody that accepts, anybody that trusts. That's for us. That's for you. And we enter in through this gate of righteousness, he says. Verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He's speaking of a, a wonderful little legend, but it's, you know, it's true as far as we know, but it's not in Scripture necessarily. But it is something that he brought up. He says, it was amazing how God were. That's marvelous. It's unbelievable. What a great story, you know. I love great stories. Well, this is one of those. They're building the temple, the second temple, you know. And for the building of the temple, there wasn't supposed to be the sound of a, of a hammer or chisel on the building site. That was all to be done at the quarry. So they would do all that loud noise. And when it comes in, they just place it into play, you know, put it into position. Well, the stone comes over and they can't figure out where this stone goes. It, it's a mismatch. It isn't the one we need. You know, foreman tells so-and-so or whatever. I get another stone over here quietly, probably, you know. Construction sites have never been, you know, they're all the same. So they take this thing they didn't need or call for, and they roll this stone down the hill, right? And they get done, and they get all the things, and we're missing the cornerstone. Of course, you know the story, obviously. Now, we sent that over. It was one of the first stones we sent. And they looked down the hill, and there it was, you know, weeds grown up all around it, and there's the cornerstone. Pushed it back up the hill, and there it was. Now, I think about that story. It's not a Bible story. It's a, it's a historical legend slash story. Um, but he brings it up. So it must be, I think, I think that validates it. I think that makes it true. But what's the, the, the point of this is the foreman who felt like he made a tremendous mistake you know, what a dope. I rolled down the cornerstone up the hill. Probably never heard the end of that his entire life. Hey, Bob. Seen any stones lately? You know, <laughs> shut up. I didn't even know. It's what I, explaining it years later. All for the purpose. The purposes of God were fulfilled in that huge blunder on his part to make it, my son's going to be rejected. Just like you rejected that stone, the nation of Israel is going to reject my son Jesus and put him over the hill. And later on, they're going to realize he was the cornerstone of our faith. And they're going to bring him back. And that's what all of Revelation's about. It's all about that. The nation of Israel finally receiving their Messiah and putting the cornerstone in their life like they should. What a great, what a great story, you know? And that's why he says, he's so, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This, this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He's so excited. To be able to think, this is it, you know. Now, this was quoted by Jesus in Matthew 21, 42. And you can keep your finger there because we're going to go to Matthew 21, 9 in a minute. Out of order, but still both quote this psalm in this chapter 21 of Matthew. Jesus has been telling them about the vine dresser and the, and the difficult parable that that was. And at the end of it, he says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, that it was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes? Again, validating the story. Jesus is saying, that's me. 
you are rejecting me now. What does that mean? Here's the thing. We just celebrated Easter, right? Well, the week before the crucifixion of Jesus is, is, the, is the beginning. They're, they're getting ready for um, the, the day of Passover, okay? The day of Passover is when the lamb for the nation of Israel and everybody else's little lambs for their family are all sacrificed once a year for the sins of the nation, right? Jesus comes in on his donkey the week before the triumphant entry as the lambs are coming in the sheep gate to be inspected. Here comes the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world at the same time the other sheep are coming in. I mean, you couldn't get a better object lesson. It's not like God, I mean, they were in school for that entire week. Jesus, and that's where this chapter 21 of Matthew comes in. Jesus is being examined by the religious leaders, which is exactly what the priests are doing to the lambs over here, looking for spot, looking for blemish, trying to find a problem with them, mainly so they could swap it out for enough authorized sheep so they can make some money. But for the most part, they're looking them over to see if they can. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is being inspected by them at the same time. Is there any spot? Is there any fault? Is there any sin? And he just keeps smoking them with every question they ask. And so finally, at the end of this inspection period that Jesus is going through, He says, you guys are rejecting the chief cornerstone and you don't even know it. And he literally tells them, have you ever read about the chief cornerstone being rejected? I'm right in front of you. And they roll him down the hill anyway. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, I wish God would be more clear. (laughs) I, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know how much more clear you need. I need him to stand right here. If, if he'd just become a man, he did. <laughs> he told us. He showed up. He came down and dwelt among us and tabernacled with us and said, I'm him. I'm real. You're in trouble. I'm saving you. I mean, this is what's going to happen. You're going to kill me, and I'm going to be dead for three days. Like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will I. But then I'm going to get up. I'm going to rise from the dead. And he told them everything. And they're still dumbfounded and confused. It's a pitiful people, aren't we? I know I'd be the same way. I don't fault them. I'd be like, is he going to take care of Rome? Because that's my immediate need. Yeah, 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 hell. But I got a problem with Rome. We're still doing that today, even in the church. We're still doing that. Yeah, 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 heaven. But I got a problem with our government, you know. You're not concerned with the things I'm concerned with. I came for a much bigger issue. In fact, Rome was such a small issue, he doesn't even address it. It's not like he died on the cross, rose from the dead, took care of Rome, and then went up into heaven. He didn't even address the issue. That's how insignificant Rome's oppression of Israel was in comparison to your eternity. That's amazing to me. Verse 25, save now. That's Hosanna, by the way. I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of God. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That's the other section of scripture, Matthew 21, 9. And the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save now, save now. He was. He was coming to save them. And again, he went to the temple and not to the palace. Finally, Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to him, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. They're saying exactly what they should be saying. And I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in the temple. I'm healing. I'm helping. I'm ministering. I'm serving them. You know, I'm doing what I'm called to do. And you're mad that they're recognizing it. You know, this morning, God has a purpose for you, a purpose for your eternity. He wants you to be saved. I don't know what problems you came in here today hoping God would take care of. He may or may not. I don't make any promises there because I don't know what he wants to do in your life. But I, knew, I do know this, his number one through 100 messages to you, and maybe your problem is number 101, I don't know, is your salvation from hell. He desperately wants you to live forever with him. And he has provided a way. And he's made it clear. And he hasn't pulled any punches. He's not hidden his grace. He's not disguised his mercy. He's made it public for all to receive and to know. And that's yours this morning if you'll believe, if you'll trust in him. It's yours. What do I have to do to be saved? Believe on him whom he sent. Trust in him. And you'll get a chance to pray that now. Lord, we thank you for this morning's uh, scripture. We thank you for this psalm, Lord. What a blessing. So much here. And the writer didn't even know what he was writing about. He was just so excited and in love with you. But we know this morning, we have hindsight. We've seen Matthew, or we've read it anyway. We've read the book of Revelation. We know how this all goes down. We know the prophecies and the fulfillment of those prophecies. And this morning we stand here or sit here with your word in our hearts, fresh in our ears, And we receive it with gladness this morning that our joy may be full. You're telling us ahead of time that we don't have to be worried or fearful in these last days. We can be joyful and ready and active and bold. Lord, for some this morning, this is the answer they needed. Maybe not the one they wanted, but this is the one you gave them. And this morning they want to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Your word says that you're knocking at the door and anybody that'll answer, you'll come in and sup with them. So this morning I pray that whoever you are, you may open that door to him and that he might come into you to make his home in you, to give you a new mind and a new heart to cause you to be born again. Lord, would you do that for these folks? Jesus, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for being that lamb inspected, found faultless and died. 
And so with that and the resurrection, we know that that offering, that sacrifice was accepted by your father. So we can be assured of our forgiveness of sins based off of the resurrection. We thank you for that this morning. Lord, it couldn't be more clear. Lord, help us to now walk in this newness of life. We were desperate and dying before, and now we have new life in you. And we're alive, and our eyes are wide open to the things of the Spirit. We pray that help us to live our lives that way and to not be dulled by this world and to be entangled with this world anymore, but to live for you, God. Bless these folks as they go today, especially our graduates if we don't see them again. I pray that you bless them abundantly and be with them wherever they go. We symbolically place our hands upon their heads and ask you to anoint them for the calling that you have on their life to bless them abundantly, to provide for them financially, but also spiritually. They're going to need to find churches and homes and fellowships and other believers. I pray that you just make it perfect for them. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd be glad to pray with you.